welcome to Wrestling and Everything Coast to Coast with your host, Buddy Sotelo Esquire and Evan Ginsberg and special guest host, Mike Lano. Mike, would you like to introduce our very wonderful guest for tonight? Well, she was the second person after Evan to email me that our Mark Bouchon had passed away. Tonight's a tribute show that Evan put together, and she would like to talk about Mark. She had, uh, you know, I've known Mary forever, but she and Mark had their own history discussing the things that uh, Mark loved to cover, Detroit, Ohio, Toronto wrestling, Pittsburgh wrestling, etc. And her dad, of course, the great legendary Pampero Furpo, who was a particular favorite of mine, and uh, so we're honored to have Mary on with us. And Ev, I'll throw to you. All right. And we also have Mark Nowatowski, noted filmmaker, multiple documentaries, including two documentaries on Detroit wrestling and, and one on the original sheet. And uh, tell us, Mark, uh, about the uh, poster behind you. Well, the photo... There is a photo that I myself took of Mark in his office back in October uh, of last year. And here, if I'm pointing correctly, that is a series of the documentaries that I have done. The Sheik Wrestling's Greatest Villain, its follow-up, Battles, Bouts, and Brawls, which was uh, broadcast as a fundraiser on PBS, also a documentary which was also on PBS uh, on the world's floating zip code. There is a tugboat on the Detroit River that is actually a registered post office and it is in its fifth generation in the same bloodline exclusive to the planet. There you go. That is what you have there. You also have on the bottom a quasi documentary I did uh, called Detroit Television Memories, and among them it had uh, local LO local origination wrestling, uh, the show that was the template for the Oprah Winfrey show, which was called Kelly and Company. And as a matter of fact, on that show, Kelly and Company, the Sheik himself made one of his rare appearances on that show. Wow! Did he talk? Uh, or just do the grunting thing. Well, he talked. He did his thing. He did his gibberish, but he had a uh, interpreter there. There you go. And Mary, your dad, um, Pampro Burpo, was a huge part of Detroit wrestling. And tell us about all of your connection with Mark Bujan, which is really the focus of the show. A tribute Hi. to Mark, who's a noted Mark was a noted historian and uh, just a passionate supporter of pro wrestling. And we're here. To, we're all here to honor him tonight. Mary, tell us about your relationship, your friendship with Mark. Hi, Evan. Thank you for having me on the show. I was, I heard that, I saw the news on Twitter that Mark had passed away and my stomach just sank. And I started sending emails. I emailed Mike and contacting people like my brother, who also had a really nice friendship with Mark. And I was looking at my email and we connected in 2011 and so it didn't it, it didn't feel like I knew my mark forever but it also didn't feel like that long I thought wow we've been in contact for the last 10 years and he reached out to me somebody had given him my email and my dad passed in 2020 so we had a nice communication for nine years before my dad passed and Mark just knew everything he was so thoughtful and kind and he sent me an email and I wrote back that I was 
thrilled to hear from him. And I appreciated that he was committed to keeping all the stories alive. And Detroit was such a great part of my father's wrestling history. You know, Pompero Furpo came into the territory in 1972. He debuted. I was listening to all the notes that Mark uh, gave me. But <laughs> they did a podcast about my dad on the Dave Dynasty show and George Shire from the Minneapolis territory was there. And Mark was supposed to be on the show. This was in early 2020, right after my dad passed, but Mark had a cold. And so he had written all these notes. He said, I lost my voice. And then Dave and George were reading the notes. So I was, I was reading all the notes. So Mark said that my dad had debuted in 1972. And he said, I was there for it. And the lights went out and Louis Martinez, the baby face was in the ring. And he said, suddenly your dad came charging out and the wild hair. And he said, I'll never forget it. And he said, it's, he said, we think about these things from our childhood that just stay with us for the rest of our lives. So he always told colorful stories. I have probably a hundred emails from him just going back. I was scrolling through over the last 10 years and always quick to offer a kind word to answer a question. He sent my dad and me when my dad was still living. This is Mark James wrestling record book from Detroit, 1964 to 1980, and Mark wrote a really nice dedication. He wrote to Mary Furpo and the entire Kachmanian family. Enjoy the book. Thanks for the memories of your time in Detroit for, for big time wrestling, Mark Bujan. So he just was always very warm. This is, this is such a great book. And I left this in here. I was looking at this the other day and <laughs> my dad put this napkin in here as a bookmark. And so I left that in just the way it was. He loved perusing through that. And the other book I have here about the Detroit territory is Brian Bucantis. Detroit Wrestling 1965 through 1980 photo album. So if I had any questions about anything in here, I would just send Mark an email or hit him up that way. And he was he was just wonderful. You know, for me, I this was 19, you know, my dad debuted in 1972. I wasn't born until 75. So I missed the live action. And my dad really kept my brother, my sister, my me and my mom separate from the business. So I, I missed his runs in Detroit or I was like one years old, two years old when he had his program with the Sheik in 76. So Evan, Evan was born in in 75 too, 1875. <laughs> yeah, 1875. So Mary, what, what does it mean to you as the daughter of a legendary wrestler that a historian such as Mark Bujan has helped keep your dad's legacy alive? What does that mean to you? It means the world to me because that my dad loved professional wrestling. He was a part of it from 1952, his debut match in Buenos Aires, Argentina, which was his hometown. And his dream was to make it to the United States. And that was his dream since he was a little boy and to bring his sisters and his parents here from Buenos Aires, which he did. And so it was just, it's a part of my family's history and it's such an important part from professional wrestling. My dad achieved his dream and he always said he accomplished his legacy. He wrestled through South America into Mexico and debuted in Texas in the 1950s. His first match against Don Leo Jonathan wow. and uh, was booked by Morris Siegel. And so, you know, that was in the fifties. And at that time, as all of you know so well, all the territories and he made it, to Detroit and had such an, uh, he, he really loved Detroit. He loved the crowds. He loved the fans. There were sellouts. You know, Mark said your dad was responsible for a lot of those sellouts in like 1973 uh, wrestling with the Sheik and Bobo Brazil and Killer Tim Brooks and Tex McKenzie and even Hartford Love and just all, you know, it was, it was just such a, a 
great piece of history. And it pleased me so much that Mark was so passionate. He had his Facebook groups too, the Detroit, Toronto, and Ohio Facebook groups with wrestling memories. And it meant the world to me because different fans would send my brother and me fan letters and ask for autographs and recollections. And as my dad got older the last couple of years, his memory wasn't strong, but those were the things that he remembered. So the fact that Mark was filling in some of those gaps at that point that my dad was no longer able to fill in and then I could converse and share those with my dad, it just, his face would light up and we would talk about those old days. You know, we missed, he missed those old days. So it meant the world to me. I was really um, very, very sad when I heard about his passing as I'm sure so many of us were that he made such good connections with. Let me just say one thing about Mark, since this is a tribute to him, all of the work he did was selfless. There was no profit motive. He wasn't making money off of any of these uh, pages or, the countless hours he put into it. This was just somebody who loved the business and devoted himself to it. And um, and when he passed, I, I was very moved because, you know, in the wrestling business, people always have good and bad to say. When, when Mike and I go, it'll be split somewhere down the middle because uh, we speak our minds and not everybody loves us. But, uh, you know, Mark, I didn't see one bad word about him. I mean, everybody was just, he was a wonderful guy. He did nothing but help. He couldn't do enough to um, support everybody. And it was just really an outpouring of love and, you know, just... It was sad that he, he left us so young because by today's standards, 61 is young, you know? So uh, we are really glad to be doing this tonight. And uh, Mark, why don't you add to the equation? Because you're the one who told me. You, you guys were very close. Well, we were. We were. Uh, as a matter of fact, Mary, you may not be aware of it, but Mark uh, was kind enough to... Uh, be the go-between person, if you will. Uh, back when I was doing the Battles, Bouts, and Brawls project, the history of uh, pro wrestling in Detroit, Mark had approached you. I, uh, I wanted your father to go on camera and be part. We would have come down there, and uh, Mark had consulted with you uh, to see if that was possible, and regretfully, your father was not in the physical, at the very least, uh, condition to uh, participate in that. Uh, however, uh, not that it would make up for it in any uh, way uh, or shape, was I, I did uncover an archival radio interview that your father did. And I had put that in the program. So your father was in that program. And I will say thank you, uh, you know, for communicating with Mark uh, for that. Uh, but when it, uh, on the, to continue about Mark, Mark was a selfless individual. Just to just to reaffirm what uh, Evan has said, he was a true. He had a true passion for wrestling, and just as you had mentioned, he just enjoyed it. He spoke with everybody. Uh, no matter what anybody's given opinion was of A, B, C, or D, Mark listened, Mark absorbed, Mark got along with everybody. And if Mark did not have an answer to any given question, 
if he couldn't look it up, he would do everything within his power and then and then some to try to get you whatever answer that you may need. And uh, uh, Mark knew people all over the world going uh, going to Australia, uh, yeah, the, the land down under. And uh, he could actually understand the way some of those accents went. So, you know, even even above and beyond. But uh, no, Mark, uh, the professional wrestling world and those that have a an appetite to learn about uh, its history really is, uh, I don't believe it's taken its toll yet on the tremendous loss of, uh, of Mark. Uh, he, he did, he was in his office. He was in his work area when, uh, when this occurred. So, uh, you know, right down to the, to the very last moment. Uh, just a, a good man. And uh, once again, just as Evan has said, I don't know anybody that had anything ever uh, to say negative about him. I mean, everybody... Should point out, uh, guys, that he wasn't just a fan and historian, but he also promoted some shows with quite a few uh, other fellow Detroit area historians and wrestlers and folks like that. And he was keeping people abreast of Detroit legends still alive, like Fred Curry, Bull Curry's son, uh, Tim Brooks before we lost him, Tony Marino, who I believe thankfully is still alive, Don Kent, who I believe hopefully is still alive too. And uh, so it's good to have those conduits. I also want to point out that Mary in uh, X amount of time, even though Ferb kept her sort of kayfabe, her family, your mom and, and brother, etc. She's turned into quite the historian. And uh, so you'll see her on a lot of things. She was with me when we had uh, Abby on for over an hour, Abdul the Butcher, who actually showed on that uh, COVID con charity thing. And Mary can keep up with almost anybody on history, which is very impressive. There's not that many. There's Barbara Goodish, Bruiser Brody's widow, and not that many uh, really relish and know and absorb the history uh, as Mary has. So we're, we're proud of her and I'm sure she had, you know, was able to get that across to Mark in their conversations. Yeah, thank you, Mike. One of the things that was just mentioned about Mark being a conduit, uh, so many Marks when, when Mark said that Mark was a conduit uh, with his, the battles and brawls. Um, he, he also, I forgot this was such an important piece. Mark gave, uh, Mark Bouton gave me the phone numbers for Fred Curry, uh, Jim Rashke, uh, Don Leo Jonathan, and I'm there were a couple more. I'm going to rack my brain right now. And I was able to connect with all of those men that my dad just loved. He loved Fred Curry. He, you know, Fred, I'm guessing, is in his late 60s or 70s. And my dad still said Fred was such a good kid. You know, he goes, Freddie was such a good kid, right? He still said that. And he was able to talk. My dad was able to talk on the phone and share some memories when he wasn't uh, physically able to travel anymore, but he enjoyed talking to those colleagues. And that was from Mark. I forgot to mention that. So that was just a real blessing. And my brother got a huge kick out of that too, just hearing and seeing my dad so excited to have connected with those important people that he loved from his past. What was Barry, let me actually ask you, when did he like pull you aside and finally smarten you up or you had started getting interested in finding out about his 
wild and crazy life. And I don't even know, like, I think he cut his long hair and beard off when he came to Ray Stevens' funeral with us in Newark, California, uh, probably around 96. So, so did he, uh, how did that come about? And, and like, how did he sort of smarten you up on his life and everything? Well, so he never, never smartened me up ever because he said that was his professional ethic that he doesn't, he, he never spilled any secrets about anything. People suggested that he write a book and that would just be completely antithetical to anything that he stood for. You know, he's like, this was just protecting the fraternity, protecting the locker room, the people he worked with. So he never actually smartened me up at all. In fact, when I was younger, I mentioned at my dad's funeral that Mike was, I was so glad Mike was able to attend. I mentioned that my dad used to come to my classroom for show and tell when I was a little girl. And then he did that later when I was a teacher, he would come, I teach sixth grade and I've been teaching since I was 22. And my dad would come to my class when he was in his early seventies and talk to the kids. And these were fifth graders. And this was during the Monday night wars with WWE and WCW and the wrestling had that resurgence where the kids were doing like wolf pack signs and talking about like stone cold and, you know, degeneration X and all of that. And so they were really interested in wrestling and they would talk to my dad and, um, you know, they would say something like, well, is it fake? And he said, there's nothing fake about it. You know, it's a very touchy word with me. So he protected everything from the beginning to the end. And uh, honestly, just in my friendships with um, people I'm seeing here on the screen and people like Mark Bujan, that was really what smartened me up is just doing research, having people contact me, listening to podcasts, people like Jim Cornette, people like Dave Meltzer, who's also able to attend the funeral, reading the things that they wrote about that era and just starting to piece things together. And uh, the other thing, when you said, when did, did he smarten me up? My dad had kept a bunch of scrapbooks and I sent one of those to Mark Bujan and he wrote this lovely thank you note. He said, this just pleases me so much that this is from your dad's collection. I'm so glad that I did that. When Mark and I first got in touch, Mark Bujan, I said, I'm gonna send you this because he was so sweet to send me these different books and these things and fill in these gaps. So I sent him one of my dad's scrapbooks and um, he was the one who kind of, you know, again, like could smarten me up and fill in the gaps on things because my dad really wouldn't talk about it. And another person who uh, I call with questions is Joanne Dusick, the daughter of promoter mm -hmm. Joe Dusick and the Dusick what? family was instrumental in training my dad. You know, he trained with Emil and Ernie and Rudy and Joe and the whole group. And so Joanne Dusick is in her eighties and my, in my dad's collection, he has programs from the Minnesota, from uh, the Nebraska, when he was in Omaha wrestling for Joe. And my brother pointed this out the other day, we were looking through some of my dad's things and there was a flyer from Joe Dusick's territory with a card from the 1960s. And it said, if you want to advertise here, call Joanne. And it was still their home phone number that Joanne still has. I call her every Sunday and we talk about uh, things. And there was a story where my dad had allegedly been stabbed by a rowdy crowd in Omaha. And I said, did that happen? And she said, no, <laughs> so I, still, I still don't know. She said, no, he had surgery. And she said, I think it was some kind of intestinal perforation, but the story that my dad came up with was that he was stabbed by a rowdy crowd. And that was when my dad started wearing this shirt over his trunks because before he used to wrestle with his chest showing, then he had a long vertical scar. And so, you know, I still uh, ask things kayfabe to Joanne and she's, you know, she tells me these days, but right at the very end of his life, like the last five or six years, he started talking a little bit more, but I think uh, Mike is so kind to say that I have any kind of knowledge of history because I feel like it's just the tip of an iceberg, but whatever I've, a lot of what I've acquired is just by, you know, asking Mike questions and, you know, well, watching. That's it. a question that, that I have for you. And that is, 
why do you think your dad didn't want to talk much about wrestling and his wrestling? Uh, that's a really good question. That was, well, that is how he made his living because uh, one of the things that Mark said in the Dave Dynasty podcast tribute show to my dad after my dad passed was he said, Furpo made you believe. And he said, Mark had said that he, when he talked to Nick Bockwinkle, who had a program with my dad in the AWA, you know, for Vernie, or I think George Shire might have said this, um, and Mark agreed. He said, you know, Furpo, he said, Nick Bock, Nick said that Furpo was stiff to work with, didn't take a lot of bumps, he said, but he made you believe. He said, you believe that he was real. And that was, uh, people sometimes compare him to the Sheik as far as his preservation of his gimmick. Like he lived his gimmick, not with our family, but when he was out in public. And so I think that that's, uh, that was his respect for the business. And that was his, how he was, how he Do you have any stories? Do you have any stories about when he, had to be in character with you in public. Like you know, I, I wish I did. Unfortunately, again, I was born so late into his career that by the time I have any memories of in the 19, early 1980s, I was five years old in 1980, he was already at the end of his career and he virtually got out of wrestling in 81. And then after he was done with wrestling, he would get recognized because we live in the San Francisco Bay Area and he wrestled in... You know, for Worcestershire, the Cow Palace, and down the road, and everything. Yes, exactly. I'm so, in, I'm in Nevada. Nevada. I yeah, in yeah. Nevada. So people and people recognized him. He uh, he didn't act in character or kayfabe after his career was over. But there, my mom and uh, my mom and my dad's mom, my grandmother, have stories where they would go to restaurants with him and things, and he'd have to like snarl at the wait staff and maybe like yeah. order some raw meat so that he could like be, pretend to be eating that. So he. He definitely stayed in character. He had a very, very tight inner circle, like very, very tight. And uh, and there were people in the business and his family, like his uh, sisters. In fact, his sisters, his sisters are in some of the scrapbook photos from um, Body Press from the Detroit Magazine. And when my dad was allegedly blinded by the Sheik, the nurse next to him was his sister in nurse you know, and it was so funny too. I told my mom, my mom, my parents divorced when I was 10, but they're very amicable. And I told my mom maybe a year ago, I said, uh, I said, look how funny that's Aunt Rosie, you know, that's that's dad's sister doing that. And she said, but you're not going to tell anybody, are you? Like, don't tell anybody that. And this I'll is 50 years later. I think it's out. Yeah. This, She's this, like, that's the first funeral list, uh, January of 2020. Yes. It yes. was honor seeing him there. And uh, they, I'm sure, had some stories because I was trying to speak a little. Uh, Spanish and, and is there was there native language Portuguese? Or? No, they grew up. They all grew up in Buenos Aires, which is Spanish, and then by ethnicity were Armenian. Big uh, Armenian genocide remembrance day today. Big oh. date for us. And um, so they they were multilingual. You know, my dad spoke eight languages. My his parents and his sisters Turkish, Greek, Armenian, Spanish, English. You know, it was um, and maybe that also kind of protected him with kayfabe because out in public it was always ironic that he would grunt and growl in the ring and people didn't think that he was even literate. And so that probably saved him a little bit too, that people wouldn't come up to him expecting some big discourse. You know, he could just kind of growl and snarl and they would walk away from him. So Remember um, I told you <laughs> in 75, he debuted. So he uh, did the angle with the Sheik in Detroit. And then that was the way Sheik sent him to LA along with several Detroit performers like Killer Tim Brooks. And he was selling it, you know, but he was in Los Angeles and it was huge because another Detroit guy, long timer Ernie Ladd, he came in, beat him immediately with the El Garfio for our singles title, and then 
went back, completed the thing with the Sheik, and then he debuts in the AWA for Vermin. I was there that night because I'd flown in with the Valiants. They'd finished up in New York. So they're debuting, and it was the opening match on a little show in Champaign, Illinois, your dad and Joe LaDuke against the, the Valiant brothers. And I go, man, this would be a main event in quite a few other places. And, uh, you know, just... And, and Jim Valiant, well, Jimmy Valiant, Jim Valiant started uh, in, in Detroit. That was his, uh, as Mark knows. So many guys started there, and... Um, and, and so many, like your dad, had that amazing history there. Like most people think, you know, well, Australia, maybe they think of uh, Furp against Bruno or Pedro in the Tri-WF, particularly 72. And, uh, but always Detroit and Honolulu and San Francisco is missing link. And, uh, it, it meant so much to me that Mark Bujan had that first person recollection of all of it because some of the historians who are just so... Um, prolific, like Tim Hornbaker comes to mind, but I think Tim's probably my age or maybe a little younger than I am. And so, uh, you know, he didn't, he didn't see the things firsthand live in the audience that Mark Bujan did. And that's not to take anything away from Tim. He's incredible, but to, to have somebody like Mark who was able to talk to my dad and remind my dad about his own memories of the Detroit territory was just precious. And like Evan and uh, Mark and all, all of you have mentioned, he was just was a selfless person. You know, if I needed to call him on a Sunday, call me on a Sunday, no problem. He sent Christmas cards to me every year. He sent Christmas cards to my dad, just telling him like how much he still appreciated his work. And that's, it's just priceless. You know, it's, it's, um, it was a very selfless thing to do. And the hours and hours that he spent preserving that history and also making sure that it was accurate. And maybe Mark would have been one of the handful of people who actually knew that it was accurate, but he was, had that uh, ethical precision to just make sure that whatever he was recording was was real. And buddy, buddy, please show some pictures. Mark forwarded some pictures for us. I thought I already did sh share them. I, you know, let me try this again. I didn't see I was, it. We all look like we're in some forest or Yosemite or something. Yeah, it's, it's some weird back screen here. Okay, let me try that again and see if this works here. Having soon. Well, we're waiting a shit. There we are. I think this is. There we go. That's now. Mark had a had a tremendous. There are some uh, gentlemen yeah. from the CAC. Mark was a had a tremendous admiration and affection for Michigan waterways, and here in this particular photo, he is actually a bridge operator. Mm. Hopefully, you can see. Uh, me partially describe of actually when you see the drawbridge come up it would be mark hitting the appropriate buttons mark well, let's, do, let's do a slideshow buddy the, this is the uh, backstreet boys circa 2020 <laughs> <laughs> uh, that looks like count grog another detroit ohio historian on the right and then that's greg oliver's writing partner for all those ecw press books uh second from the um Right. I can't think. I don't know why his name is escaping me, but you look on any of it, like the tag teams and faces and et cetera books. And he's quite the historian himself. I'm not sure of the gent second from the left with a Hall of Fame shirt. And that's Mark Bouchon, obviously, on the left. And there is Mark's great admiration for waterways. There is uh, just about to start a fishing adventure for himself there. There is flying Fred Curry. On the left. Correct. 
But his dad had some battles with Furp. They were about the same size. You know, they weren't the tallest guys, but they were human dynamos. Sheik, Bull Curry, who was out of this world amazing. Furp, who also out of this world amazing. Uh, so beloved in Los Angeles. I got to keep saying that. When he debuted, came in from Detroit, he immediately, we needed a baby face, and he was a killer baby face, speaking in both Spanish and English, even though we had six to seven other languages he could speak. He could have appealed to the Japanese because he kept telling me he was trying to learn Japanese, you know, from his well, I have to go backwards here. Back Who, who's, the guy, who's the guy on the right? Oh, I should point out, uh, well, that's... Uh, this guy, somebody stole his neck. Who is this guy? <laughs> That uh, we lost also Sheik's son who wrestled uh, as captain, but the Eddie Jr. passed away like the week before Mark did. Mark died on. Well, it was a little uh, little before that. Mark was in constant communication with Eddie Jr. And also uh, Mark uh, was uh, instrumental. Eddie Jr. was a uh, gentleman that had a great admiration for music and for country music. All right, hold on. Mark Let me was instrumental in getting Eddie Jr. with uh, the proper people, if you will, to actually get Eddie Jr.'s music on the radio or heard by the general public. What you're looking at right now is uh, is a story here on uh, Captain Ed George, which is what Eddie Jr.'s uh, character name was. But this is part of Mark Bougian's personal collection that, that actually looks like chic there you know if you look at him eddie jr resembled eddie farhat quite quite a bit whose fan club i ran in the 60s is that all the photos we've got these oh no i got, uh, got 20 photos there mike yeah mark narrate well this is mark uh, when he was uh hosting a uh, radio show uh, with a gentleman that was his colleague, and I'm sure, Mike, you're going to know all about it, since uh, you are aware of his promoting powers. This picture was taken by his colleague, who was uh, promoting shows out in Birch Run. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's... There's uh, another gentleman that I'm sure everybody knows on the extreme uh, side of Mark, that is Tom Burke. Yeah. Uh, right. And uh, Ross Hart, Stu's son, wrestling son, great friend of ours in the center. This is another piece of uh, Mark Bougian's personal collection. Do you know, uh, Mark, is his collection going to go to like the Iowa Museum? That's where I kind of urge people to send it to the Thez Tragus Real Hall of Fame Museum, not to... WWE that's buying up stuff left and right, and it's just going to sit in their archives like they tried to do with... There are a number of people that are interested in his archive. Uh, there may be an announcement made later. Is WWE <laughs> buy, buying stuff, or are they uh, asking for stuff? They asked Johnny Valiant for his uh, for his ring uh, jacket. They didn't, they didn't offer a penny. Well, now that's the subject of their, their TV show. They had offered me, for example, they wanted to buy all my photos that I had taken and then stuff I have going back to you know, the 1880s France and I didn't want to sell because I would have lost control. But a lot of the talent, they had the balls to ask them just to donate it and there's no physical Hall of Fame. So Mark, that's why I'm saying with Mark's collection, rather than just have individual collectors have it and nobody get to enjoy it, if you donate it to 
an ethical museum. The Iowa one is the, the best. Everybody from around the world comes there and can enjoy it. It's under plexiglass. It's protected uh, as opposed I to... I can only speculate, Mike, that uh, Mark's collection will uh, go in good hands. Yeah, that just doesn't mean that people can look at it, though, when it goes to private collections. Like Harry White sold the Missouri State title to somebody in Japan when he got... Well, once again, it's all a matter of keeping Mark's memory and legacy. And if that information is not freely accessible, locked away somewhere in a museum, it's going to be kind of tough. Nobody's, well, the Iowa Museum is on display. It's on well, I'm not display. going to Iowa to see anything. Are you? Well, everybody goes there. It's a, a Well, then you cover my ticket, pal. And I'm on my way. Wait, let's go back to that program. That's very cool because that's during the war. The the, the particulars on this Kobo sheet program. From 1968. Is, that, mm, is it 68? Yeah. Okay. I believe so. Look at the. Just opener. over a year old. Yeah, look at the opener. It's Dandy Dan Miller against Ox Baker, which would, you know, hell of a match. Von Raschke, Jimmy Von Raschke, Baron Von Raschke in the second from the bottom. You know, full of great talent. Jesse the Bull Ortega there. Freddie Blassie against Paul Christie, who later worked for Bruiser when he came in to run opposition to Sheik. The, the kind of car that uh, Pompero Furpo should have been on. Well, he just he was in Hawaii main eventing as Missing Link for Ed Francis and Lord Blears there. But look at that. That's not Art Skolan. That's Arnie Skolan against T-Bolt Patterson because Arnie Skolan was teaming maybe about that time or a little later with J.J. Dillon as James Dillon. Uh, that was his first territory. And, uh, man, Bulldog Brower, the Hells Angels, Danny Hodge against Killer Carl Cox. That had to have been one of the stiffest matches ever. And then, of course, the second only time that Ernie Roth as Abdullah Farouk wrestled with the Sheik. He did that in Los Angeles in Bakersfield against the Tolis brothers in 72. But here much earlier... Abdullah Farouk teaming with the Sheik against uh, Lord Athol Layton, the great announcer, fantastic announcer, and Bobo. Wow, big, big card, major, major card. Well, as a very good portion of them were in Detroit. Also, in mentioning about uh, Abdullah Farouk tag teaming with, uh, with the Sheik, I believe he also did that at least once in Toronto. I'd have to ask. Uh, you can check it. Yeah, it's just hard. We were trying to, Dave Brzezinski and I, who does the weekly big-time memories thing, and he's got one special, he does them once a week, big-time memories on YouTube. One was on FERP. The latest one that came out last night was on the fabulous, or the fabulous Kangaroos, Al Costello, Roy Heffernan, Don Kent, and all the incarnations there. So now who is Mark posing with there on the left? It looks like a kitchen. That is at Detroit's Lafayette, Coney Island. Which Mark was a great fan of. That's is that a uh, an amusement park? That, in mentioning your friend, Mr. Brzezinski, it's. Uh, I'm looking forward to see whatever kind of memorial he's going to do. I think he may have done one already. Uh, no, he there had, was one. Uh, there was a podcast already on Mark yeah, before. I participated in that too. That was a matter of sound bites, and that was very well done by Dave Dynasty. They participated in it. I'm looking forward to whatever Dave himself may do. Let me ask you, though, on that other about the Coney Island. Is that an amusement park or what is Detroit or Michigan's Coney Island? 
Those are hot dogs with chili, mustard, and onions. Okay, so it's not an amusement. It's not an amusement park like the New York historic one. I was hoping no, that's Lafayette Coney Island, just as you yourself identified, Mike. That indeed is a kitchen slash restaurant. Because I know I've been there for quite a few uh, years. Yeah, Mark and no Mark. Mark, we're almost time for dinner out here on the west, so it's no, Mark. A, a good suggestion, maybe You're making Buddy hungry. Yes. California California has chili dogs, but they don't have conies. They'll have them with, uh, they're, they're just not, not tweaked just right. Because as I'm sure you know, Mike, I also am in California. Are you, okay. are you in California now? I'm sorry? You're in California right now? Not right now, but I've been there for seven years. Matter of uh, fact, I was there when you ran into me at CAC back in 2015, but you must have been in a hurry because you walked by pretty quick. Uh, well, I'm the club photographer, so I'm always stuck running around. But wait a minute. Though CAC wasn't in L.A., it was in Vegas, but there on that chic Rocky Johnson poster, there's yeah, Bo, really Curry, cool. Bo Curry on the lower right. Yeah, uh, that's a reproduction poster created by somebody. Uh, okay. That's not an original poster. Because I don't remember them being poster boards. I could be wrong. You guys would know in the Detroit, the few times I came in, I never saw poster boards like that. Like Roy Shire had those for every show from 1961. Once again, that is not an original poster. That was created by somebody. So you don't know if Sheik ever had those kind of uh, posters. He had great newspaper ads, like the D Toronto ones for Maple Leaf. Yeah, those are, those are quite a bit put on uh, the history Facebook page that Mark created. Matter of fact, I put those up. Green Hornet. Which uh, which, which territory is this? Is this Michigan? Well, it's promoter Bill Thornton. So, Mike, uh, I'm not familiar with Bill Thornton. So mm. that that might be going back before the Rubies and and others. In uh, I would say that's either early '60s, possibly late '50s. No, it says 41. That might that, be, that's part of Mark's collection. Yeah, no, that might be 1941 there. It says 41 up at the top, and that's when Flash Gordon was working. Could be. And that's Mark in his office. And sadly, that's where he expired. Oh. Now, there is Mark with uh, Jim Lancaster. That was his character name on the uh, rather girthy gentleman sitting uh, opposite Mark. Mark has his back to us. And who's the, the woman there? I believe that is the daughter of, uh, I want to say Chief Whitehall, but I could be wrong. Oh. My memory starts to go, it's not as good as other people's. Who's on the far right in the kind of reddish shirt? That I don't know. Sadly, I need new glasses. Okay. But the primaries are Bujan and Big Jim Lancaster, who started out as a wrestler and, among other things, was also a promoter. Uh, Jim, Jim worked on the Sheik show towards the end. I beg your pardon? Jim worked on Sheik's Kobo cards towards the end oh, yeah. of some of his TVs. And there's Mark with one of his dogs. Now, this photograph was taken by a gentleman I'm sure you know named Gary Rowell. Yeah. Uh, with the body presses in the back, who's the female worker? She looks more up to date. 
She is yep. contemporary, and that I do not know. Mary, your dad's right behind her. There you go. Uh, by the way, Mary, as a, as a sideline, and speaking about your father, I had the pleasure of seeing him in action, if you will, many times at Kobo, even at uh, the Michigan State Fairgrounds, which uh, the Sheik occasionally had shows there, as both the uh, tag team partner of the Sheik, and uh, one time that I had the opportunity to see him go against uh, the Sheik, and I will tell you, Pompero Furpo was one of my favorites, and still is. Yeah, we all loved him. There he is with uh, Fred Curry and his son, Nick, and the woman I do not know. That's his wife, and uh, Fred had two sons, one who began wrestling for Evan for Sheldon Goldberg. That was the first territory to feature Fred's uh, older son, which I think he was billed as Fred Curry uh, uh, Fred Curry Jr., and then he, for some reason, uh, stopped wrestling maybe 15 years ago. And then more recently, when I had I interviewed uh, Fred or had him on one of those COVID cons, uh, he had his younger son who wanted to get into the business and was hoping to get into AEW and send them a tape and, and all of that. So that's pretty cool. Third-generation guys, Bull Curry being total legend grandfather, Flying Fred Curry, totally different style than Bull Curry there on the far left. And, uh, Nick, Curry, Nick Curry is excellent. I've seen him in New York, and uh, he wrote a very nice, um, you know, eulogy. I, I shouldn't say eulogy. A, a nice tribute to um, Mark Bujan. Um, he posted it on his Facebook page. And uh, Nick is a great wrestler, and I hope he um, has great success like the rest of his family. It was a Mark, good kid. Mark was in quite quite constant uh, communication, as as Mary had said, with uh, with uh, Fred Curry. Yeah, you could tell he was very uh, moved, you know, by Mark. It was a touching tribute that he wrote. Look at this card. So this had to have been uh, be obviously in the '60s, probably '67, '68. Chick. No. This was in the this was in the mid to late seventies when the Sheik had. Oh, right, right. you're right, right after, uh, right after Bruiser had rejoined. You know, he had to give up t taking on challenging Sheik in Detroit. So, geez, uh, Abby no showed. He scratched out. I'm not sure if we can read who uh, filled in from it. Doesn't look like Mark Lewin showed up either. Yeah, you're right. And uh, Cannon, are we going to assume that was? Uh, Crybaby George, George Cannon. No, uh, Cannon, yeah, that was uh, that was George Cannon. Austin Idol, wow, that's pretty... Uh, well, yeah, you're right, because Walter Johnson, Sheik sent him in, a uh, former football player, to us in Los Angeles in 1980, where he teamed with Fred Blassie against uh, uh, John Tolis and a heel, Victor Rivera. Al Costello, who's still... He, no, he didn't make that card. He was on his waning days as a worker, and Donnie Fargo... Pretty interesting. He's second from the bottom. Big Red Reese, who worked for Ole Anderson in Georgia Championship and was trained by Sheik. And I'm not sure who Wayne would be. And it just says midgets. So it doesn't say which ones. And Either. this also is from it's from Mark's private collection. So what year? Because this was after Sheik and Bruiser uh, had their... I the think Sheik they had and Bruiser were wrestling each other back in 1973 or four. 
which I attended. Later, I think it was 75 when Sheik finally, Mm -hmm. or or finally gave in the GOAT. He kept his, maintained his Indianapolis WWA, but he gave up the Detroit office. And then a few of the talents, uh, like Sailor Art Thomas and Dick himself, Dick Applis, the bruiser, then worked uh, for some of the Sheik's cards. But it's interesting. I didn't even know they teamed up. And that was at the fairgrounds, Mark, you were talking about there. Now we're back in Central Park. Oh, okay. if it's possible, yes. uh, buddy. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I sent you uh, this, and again, it's with my memory. So bear with the with the ancient way I'm going to attempt to do this. Um, here, but now you can't oh, see. I don't it. think it, it likes uh, your blue screen. What <laughs> I, one of the things that that Mark did, and I apologize for that. Forgive me. That Mark started a pro wrestling hotline, which originally was, uh, he had it a uh, 1-800 number. However, uh, that turned into a rather interesting situation, uh, because if you may recall, when somebody calls you on a 1-800 number, the caller doesn't pay for it. The person receiving the call does. And apparently... After a series of getting uh, several rather high, high-priced phone bills, it was decided to change it to a regular, I guess you would call it a regular area code. Bear with me, please, ladies and gentlemen. I can't, I can't see. i got to take my glass off. So this particular flyer that I have here, he, Mark changed it uh, to the area code 248. But uh, just for your own information... It was the Pro Wrestling Hotline, a number one hotline for wrestling information. It proceeded to give the phone number and the things that you could find out on the Pro Wrestling Hotline, stated by Mark Bujan himself, was Detroit wrestling history of Kobo Arena, Olympia Stadium, the glory days of wrestling. Where are they now? Local wrestling shows, which at that time there were a few, and those, and they still continue to this day. Uh, old resorts, or ooh, excuse me, old results and more. A look back at Detroit wrestling history and legends. Ask Mark your wrestling questions, and then it had email Mark, and it gave his uh, uh, email address, and it said the hotline was updated daily. So this, this. This man pulled out all the stops when it came to history, when it came to information. And this is why, if I become repetitive, please forgive me. This is an incredible loss, uh, not only to Mark's uh, family and friends, uh, to his associates and acquaintances in, in all of his interests and careers, but the, you know our subject is... The pro wrestling world, you have no idea of what you have lost. And when you start asking questions, Mary, as you found out and and others that you were relaying, uh, you called Mark. And if Mark didn't know it, he tried his doggondest and then some, I got to put his back on, to, uh, to find out. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know. I don't know who else will do that with the intensity and dedication that Mark had. Yeah. And um, again, with no profit motive, he did it because yeah. he loved it. This, uh, heart. You know, there are, there are guys who have um, 
websites making all kinds of crazy money, they would die before they throw five bucks into a GoFundMe for, for a wrestler in need. And uh, Mark was the exact opposite. He couldn't do enough for everybody. So, I agree. I agree. Yeah. And it just, uh, I can't even, I, I'm sorry. I cannot even begin to describe it. Uh, Mark, also, one thing that, uh, that I believe Mary, uh, if it, and again, bear with my memory, please, was either you and your brother. Mark's desire, Mark's wish was to do a documentary. He was collaborating with me. And this one was going to take Mark and I all over North America. We had uh, personalities, estates, if, if the individual was uh, no longer uh, available. Uh, we were going to go to Canada. We're going to you on the West Coast. We were going to go to Florida. Evan, you were involved. We were going on the East Coast. It would have what been was it going to be about? What was it going to be about, though? About two hours. Oh, no, that's an old joke. That's an old joke. Yeah. <laughs> yes. What is well, the very subject, though? Wrestling history. in general or wrestling history? history? And how, I'm telling you. History. History and how the personalities, what they have done after the fact, how they have just have adjusted, how they have done uh, things as years have progressed, if you will. And it was how people that, that were not ever on camera, or at least not on camera with any regularity, you have, there are, sometimes there are people that will become, uh, you see them all over whether it's it's of the past or whether it's contemporary you look here and there they are they're on they're on the internet or they're online or they're on tv or they're they're writing something or anywhere you look doggone it there's joe blow well it's going to get to a point when joe blow i don't want to see joe blow anymore i've seen him and heard him too much and that ladies and gentlemen is called oversaturation and our project was going to be with personalities and estates of characters that are not in the limelight, but are fondly remembered. And Mary, you were, you and your brother uh, were part of that. Fred Curry was, Greg Valentine was, a number of other uh, individuals and their estates uh, in Canada, you know. But uh, that's what it was. And sadly, unless there is an alternative that can come up, that project has gone with Mark. And that is to the loss of the world. And I will not only say to the wrestling world, but to the world in general. Because speaking for myself, whenever I did a project, it was not for the wrestling fan alone. It was for the general public to educate and inform. So. We've got to wind up. Let's, uh, Mary, let's go to you and, and see if you've got any things or charities or anything to, to plug or mention here on our Mark Bujan tribute. Yeah, thank you. Well, um, again, I'm just really glad to be a part of it and what a sad loss like Mark just mentioned. And um, like Mark just said, it's, uh, it's heartbreaking that people who do these things from their heart without profit just to 
remember and share the history are leaving us. So it's, um, I have a very small part of trying to preserve some of the history and show some of those collections that uh, hopefully Mark and, you know, Mark and Mark could have, I would have loved to have shown them had they made it out here in person. And um, I have a Twitter account that I run and the, um, it's my only social media. It's P as in Pompero Firpo, F-I-R-P-O, P Firpo with the numeral one on Twitter. And then my brother is just a member of the Mark Bujan's groups on Facebook, the Detroit, Ohio, and Toronto memories. My brother, John Kachmanian is just on Facebook um, as him himself. And we love hearing stories about our dad. And I'm really gonna miss like um, Mark N just said, Sometimes we're not even aware right now, like how devastating the loss is, because when something comes into me, you know, it's one one less person I can talk to. And um, like Mark said, too, he, he just went above and beyond to answer answer emails, make phone calls, make those connections just out of the goodness of his heart. And I, I always got the sense, too, that Mark Bujan, um, he mentioned this on the Dave Dynasty show, that those pivotal memories that were part of his boyhood and part of his youth that always stayed with him. And I think that a lot of what he did was gratitude for that. Like that brought him so much joy and then he wanted to share that and give back. And that's that's so important because a lot of people don't give back like you just mentioned about like a GoFundMe and some people don't even contribute, you know, and he gave back his time, his treasure and his talents, just um, devastating. So yeah, so yes, Mike, I have the Twitter account. And then also, um, I know that all of you are involved in Cauliflower Alley Club. And there's a t-shirt that Al Snow's company, Collar and Elbow, the wrestling clothing company, made for my dad with the line, who still remembers Pompero Furpo, which is the opening line of the Jim Cornette drive through podcast, which I'm a big fan of listening to that history. And the shirt is uh, linked, right? It's pinned on the top of my Twitter and it's at Collar and Elbow. It's a Pompero Furpo t-shirt and any of the profits or proceeds from the t-shirt go 100% to Cauliflower Alley Club. Mary, there's one question I've got to ask because if, sure. I, if I didn't ask you during the hour, I'd like regret it. And that <laughs> is, did your dad ever put the claw on you or your brother? Um, you know, he would do it, I think, kind of jokingly, like he would just put, and I've got, I, you know, I have huge, I'm five foot six, and you know, my dad was five foot eight. I have these huge hands. I go, that's what I got from my dad. You know, I just have these, yeah, that's the, the El Garfio. And sometimes, uh, you know, if I see people from the wrestling business, I, I was really excited. I was able to go to an MLW show. I'd never had gone in Chicago in 2019 in the summer, and the Von Erich boys were there, and I contacted Kevin Von Erich through Twitter and sent him some of the cards and programs that my dad had with Fritz. And then he, my dad wrestled in Puerto Rico with David and Carrie, and they had a card together and I sent those to Kevin. And anyway, Jim Cornette was on the commentary and the Von Erichs, Ross and Marshall were in the ring. And it was just so cool. And I was sitting and Cornette looks at me and at the same time we both did this, you know, <laughs> like that's the, so uh, that's, it, it just was, it was I was so always cool. a big fan. So I'm yeah, he never put it on as a squeeze. He did, like, I think I asked him one time, like, what did that feel like? And he started applying a little pressure and I like tapped out, okay, that's enough, that's enough. I mean, he was so, he always had those little grip hand strength things that he was like always cranking on. I mean, he was such a strong, powerful, like physically powerful guy. You know, he just didn't, it, it would just go from like zero to 60, like just a little pressure and it's like, okay, okay, so. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Thank you for sharing. Mary, that. I've never asked this because I tried looking it up in a Spanish to English book, but does Garfield mean claw in Spanish, Espanol? So my dad always 
Garfio is the claw. The claw. Uh, the, okay, so that's what the, it means in Spanish, the claw, because I could never find out an exact definition in Spanish for it. Yeah, and Mark had said in his notes on the Day Dynasty show that my dad had, um, when he the, he mentioned something about the Algarfi, like he brought that into Detroit, like in the 70s, like he said at that time he'd started using that hold, because prior to that he was using a submission bear, you know, bear hug submission hold, so... He developed Del Garfio later and he worked in his first territory in Texas. Like he worked around Fritz and he worked with Jim Rashke and AWA. So I wonder if that was something he just developed later, like after working with them, like a claw versus claw or a, um, yeah. So anyway, I just appreciate every time Mark dropped a little knowledge like that, you know, the wrestlers always say like they sit under the learning tree. Right. And I was like, oh, I'm going to make a note of that. So I'll, I'll certainly miss those exchanges a lot. And Mary, in New York, your dad was here in the early 70s. He wrestled Pedro at, at Madison Square Garden, Pedro Morales. And we got the L.A. tapings, and we were watching your dad in the 70s. So I have fond memories of him also. Pedro Purpo is one of the all-time greats. And, uh, yeah. you know, and it's great that guys like Mark Bujan have helped to keep that legacy alive because – there's not a mountain of video out there on your dad. So yeah. it's, it's there's great. Not, yeah. yeah, there's not. And actually, Evan, I, you're too young, but he was in New York in the late 50s, early 60s. Oh, yeah, yeah. With yeah. Yeah, Bruno and Rocca. And when Rocca, Antonina Rocca was teaming with Miguel Perez, and then my dad came in and worked with Rocca. And that was a big part of my dad's story, too. Rocca was his boyhood hero in Argentina. Rocca, I think, was about 10 years older than my dad. And Rocca was the one who gave my dad his push and his entree to go to Madison Square Garden from Texas. That was a big thrill. And Bruno was on some of those cards too. He had great affection for Rocca and for Bruno and for Pedro too. You know, that's, that's great. He, he was in uh, New York at Madison Square Garden, but also at um, Sunnyside Gardens, I think is that yeah, Long Island? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I'm sorry, I missed all of that. You know, I missed it all. I was uh, not even a twinkle in his eye yet, so. By the way, Mary, I would like to. The WrestleMania. I would like to, Mary. Excuse me. Pardon me. Yeah. As Lanny's Papo's guest, and when we uh, were at the uh, the press boxes for Mania, etc., and I dragged Bruno. I just told Bruno, and he ran over there to take pictures and stuff. You guys got the shot, or I think John did, of your dad and uh, Bruno, and they really, you know, that was the last time because Bruno would pass away a little bit later. And uh, that was kind of a magic moment for, uh, you know, any of us uh, seeing those two guys back together again, you know, having been friends since the 50s. Yeah. Yeah. Bruno looked like he couldn't believe it. Like, I just can't even believe that I'm seeing you here. And Bruno, with his voice, he said, Pompero Firpo, like the way he said it. I got that on video. And not only uh, Bruno, but in that hallway there, Mike, you probably remember we saw Roddy Piper and then he passed away a couple months later. It just broke my heart. So that was uh, that was in 2015 in San Jose. I was really grateful to Lanny that he was able to bring us down there. But um, what were you saying, Mark? I think you. Uh... Well, what I wanted to say, Mary, and thank you, by the way, but also <laughs> thank you personally uh, for for joining joining us uh, on this on this program that Evan that you were kind enough to do. And I'm I mean I can think of no better no better character. Of a personality to share the Mark Bujan Memorial uh -huh. than the daughter of the eighth wonder of the world, the wild bull of the pompous Pompero Purple. So I, I just wanted to say I, I thank you. I thank you, and and hopefully if if given the opportunity, I I would like to uh, 
communicate with you a little bit too. Yeah, anytime. It was my pleasure. And um, Mike knows how to get in touch with me. I don't know, uh, Mark, if you're on Twitter, but Mike has my email and my phone number and um, anytime, anytime. I'd love to talk to you. And we, like you said, as a family member, I just was so grateful that people like Mark preserve that history and, and shared it with me and with others, you know, love my dad and loved Detroit. And, um, you know, Mark was still living. I think he just moved maybe a year before he passed. Right. He was living in. Oak not, Park, maybe? Yeah. yeah. Not too long. He was, well, the, uh, one thing, yes, he did, uh, relocate. Well, what I was, what I was going to get at the, the important thing I feel for all of us and for, and for the people that are watching this program and a heck of a lot more is to keep the legacy of Mark, of Mark Bujan going every little bit, sharing a story. No two people really have the same remembrance. I saw something this way. You were at the same event and you saw something that way, but pooling that information just gives you a broader memory and hopefully, at the very least, it'll make you smile and put you in that, in that frame of mind of a wonderful memory. Because you shared something that I didn't know, and hopefully, vice versa. So it's, it's up to us, I believe, as a, as a community to continue, continue Mark's legacy. And not after, be it two weeks or two months or two years, when when either we are together again or uh, or each of you individually and somebody says i wonder what mark bujan would have said and the the worst thing would be if somebody said who can't let that happen on that note i think that, that's a good way to wrap everything up and and uh Really appreciate everybody's contributions tonight, and we'd love to have you back on again, Mary, um, in the near future. And, and it's great to have you back here again, Mark. Uh, I'd like to thank people. Buddy for the amazing CGI. He's going to beam us out of this park in a few minutes. <laughs> Why is he the largest character out of uh, all of our? This is the weirdest thing I've seen in a long time. Well, hey, I look. I don't say that I, I I'm, I'm a, a master of Skype. It's always a, a new experience when I'm. It was like gigantic for us. I I have no idea. I, I have it on like uh, uh, the grid view, what it's called, large grid view. I had it on this before, but I don't know how how that. It, it looks different from my end than it does on your guys. It's end. like we're all sitting in Central Park, but only our heads. It's kind of <laughs> surreal. Yeah. It's, well, I'll, I'll I'll have to I'll, so you know it's all it's 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 all technical stuff you know and 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 maybe I'll have to work on it a little bit harder to 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 make it all match up uh, uh, next time. But anyway, it's like, it's like a '60s grindhouse film, like <laughs> right, Mark? Yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah. But thank you everyone for for the, for thank being you. here this week and really appreciate all your 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 uh, wonderful input and. And love to hear the history about your dad, Mary. R.I.P. So, Mark Bouzon. R.I.P. Pampero Furpo. R.I.P. All the legends. Thank Eddie you very much. Farhat, Tom Farhat, Mark Bouzon, any number, any number of wrestling personalities and fans. May they all rest in peace and their memory. And Pampero Furpo, of course, 
And may their memories be preserved. Right. Good, night, Good night, everyone. Amen to that. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night.